everyone. It's good to be with you on this beautiful morning as we break into a new series called A Thousand Names, where we get to really dig into uh, the amazing song of Phil Wickham, not only of Phil Wickham, but to really know and understand what it means when we meditate on the names of God. When I was, uh, right after I got saved when I was a younger kid, I had, I don't know if any of you remember going to like Northwestern Bookstore or Lifeway, but I had one of those posters with all the names of God on it. Did any of the rest of you have that? But I had that and I framed it because it helped me to remember that our God is not just kind of one dimension. Sometimes we talk about God like, okay, well, he's God. But when we look at all the names of God, the reasons for which God's people named God or God proclaimed himself as things, we realize God is not one-dimensional. Like a diamond, if we can even use a diamond to try to describe God, God is multifaceted. And as we learn the names of God, what those names mean, why they reveal something deeper about God to us, it is so helpful in us going deeper and wider. So for all of us who love Phil Wickham, <laughs> thank you, Phil Wickham. We're all the Phil Wickham fans in here. So we thank Phil Wickham, but I, you know, I also wish that we could just call Phil and say, Phil, I don't even know if you know the magnitude of what you've done in writing such a magnanimous song, particularly as we dig into some of the lesser known names of God. Before we dig into that, I know it's 9.30, but I'm interested in you all, when you think about the names, and let's just use Jesus, when you think about the names of Jesus, what are the first names that come to mind? What are the things, when you think of Jesus, what are the names that come to mind for you? Yes, you can actually say them and yell them out. Counselor, Counselor what else? Lamb of God, Lord, Savior, Shepherd, Messiah, Savior. Son. I'm sorry? Yes. All of these, and these are just a few that we know, right? He's Redeemer. He's Bread of Life. He's Lord. He's Creator. He's Son of the Living God. He's the Only Begotten Son. He's, remember, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. He's the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's the Head of the Church. He's the Almighty. He's Alpha and Omega. He's Master. He's King of the Jews. He's the High Priest. He's Prophet. He's Teacher. He's Emmanuel. He's Advocate. He's Mediator. He's Judge. He's Chief Cornerstone. Here's one of my favorite from 1 Peter 2.25. He is the Author and the bishop, he's the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. The shepherd and bishop of souls. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the good shepherd. He's the word. He's the fountain of living waters. He is Shiloh. He is rock. He is true vine. He is branch. He is bridegroom. He is day spring. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the bright and morning star, the image of the invisible God, the I am. He's the carpenter. He's the king of Israel. There is no shortage. And so when Phil Wickham wrote this song, A Thousand Names, when you think just of those names of Jesus Christ, not including the names specifically of God or the names of the Holy Spirit, a thousand names is not a stretch or an exaggeration. There are hundreds 
and hundreds of names that God has allowed us to see through the word to say, come closer to me. Hold up my countenance like a diamond. Examine me. Examine my character. When we say shepherd and bishop of our souls, he's the one that tends to us. In a world gone mad, he is the one that keeps us safe from the wolves that tend to pray. He is the one. He's the wellspring of life. The one that gives us purpose in our meaning. So while we want to thank Phil Wickham, we need to give honor to the one who has more than a thousand names. And he wants us to be able to know that we can sing those back to him and that he is not a God merely of, uh, uh, he's not a God of stone or brass. He's a God who is real and living and responsive, who actually made a way through his own son, which we will talk about today, for us to be able to draw closer to him. So I'm someone who cares about names. I care about also what we're singing. And as I was preparing for this message, I actually went on a website called the Berean Test. And the Berean Test is a website that actually does an interesting job for us. Their job is to take a look at some of the most famous songs that we sing in Christendom and then to ask four primary questions. Who does this song glorify? What is the purpose of this song? Uh, would an outsider or someone who's not a believer understand who this song is pointing to? And then how does this song particularly line up with scripture? I think it's important that you all know that this song was given a 9.5 out of 10, meaning for these people who are scholars that look at the scriptures, that look at the song, that look at the lyrics, they are saying those lyrics are biblical. And how many of you know there are great songs oftentimes that we sing in Christian, but they don't always line up with scripture. Sometimes they've got a great melody, but they don't always line up with scripture. And so today we're going to be focusing on what you see in red. You are Yahweh's glory now revealed in flesh and bone. Now you won't find those specific words in the Bible, but we will today point out how Jesus, right? Because a thousand names, the words that we're using in the song that we're singing is specifically talking about the names of Jesus, so today we'll be looking about Yahweh's glory now revealed in flesh and bone. And I think it's interesting that on today as we launch this particular, um, this particular series, that we're talking about the name Yahweh. And we're talking about its connection to the Jewish people. You see, tonight starts Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the most holy holiday for Jewish people. Yom Kippur is, a, is the day of atonement. It is the day when Jewish people around the world think and meditate on, oftentimes fast, on all of the things that they have done and how they need to now atone for their sins. Thousands of years ago, how did the Jewish people atone for their sins? There was a sacrifice. Can you imagine the temple? Could you imagine if each one of us in here catapulted ourselves back to that time of temple worship, but also a time of sacrifice where we would have to bring a bull or a goat or a lamb or depending how much money we had, even doves, and those animals would have to be slaughtered and then their blood would be thrown 
against the tabernacle, against to be able to say, this is the blood that was given for my sin. Friends, tonight, I'm asking you tonight through tomorrow to please pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters who do not know the one who came to atone for their sins. Many of them do not know Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They do not know him as Messiah. Most of our Jewish brothers and sisters yet wait for a Messiah. They do not know that the Messiah has already come. And even though we don't now slaughter bulls and goats, oftentimes many of us, including them, do works of penance or self-righteous things or we give more money or we do things almost in apology to God for the things that we've done. How many of you know how gloriously blessed we are that as Christians we have someone who has paved the way? Jesus Christ is the one who atoned for our sacrifice, the spotless lamb. There's no more blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews told us the blood and bulls of goats, of bulls and goats, wasn't satisfactory, that there had to be another way. So as we sing about Yahweh's glory, we're not just singing about the beauty or the radiance of Jesus. We're talking about the sacrifice of Jesus that grafted us in, that allowed us now to be a part of giving glory back to God. This may look like a simple phrase in a great song by a great man, but I assure you that when Phil Wickham didn't just say he's the Father's glory, but Yahweh's glory, he was giving us a history lesson. So let's dig into the scriptures for today. I want us to begin by looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. For those of you who have your Bibles, open them. And I hope that as we read these five verses, you will see additional names for Jesus in these five verses. Let's look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20, as we dig into Yahweh's glory revealed in flesh and bone. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Hear this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossa, and here in these five verses, he is showing us some miraculous things about who Jesus is. What do you see there? We see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so that when Jesus stepped out of the perfection of heaven, he was the very radiance 
of God, the very image of God, not so much even in his physical being. Isaiah tells us that when Jesus walked the earth, there was nothing that would have ascribed us to him. Jesus wasn't beautiful. He wasn't six foot four. He wasn't any of those things. He wasn't a bodybuilder. In fact, if Jesus walked in here today and sat down, most of us wouldn't have paid attention to him. So what does it mean that he was the image of the invisible God? That means all of the attributes and the glory of who God was, was revealed in Jesus Christ himself, wrapped In the flesh of this man was the very image of him. He is the firstborn over all creation. That is one of those words, you all. When we see those, underline it and study it out. What does it mean that Jesus Christ was the firstborn over all creation? In him, all things were created. That points to Genesis and tells us from the beginning, Jesus was there. He is a part of the creation that God has. Let us make man in our image, plural, Father, Son, Spirit, were present at the very beginning. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, meaning that Jesus did not just create the ground that we stand on. But the angels that we see, the angels that were cast out, all things that we can see and uh, and not see were created by him. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For him. That means when we say every knee shall bow while we see sin in the world, the purpose of every person and everything is to give glory back to him, whether they realize it or not. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Does that give anyone reason to praise that it's not the government, it's not my funds, it's not my bank account? It's in him. Everything holds together. Things don't fly apart because Jesus has us right here in his hand. Even the tough stuff, even the things when we say, why God? There is nobody that can take you out of God's hand. Right now, Scripture says we may see in a mirror darkly. We don't understand all things, but I guarantee you, Jesus is like, I got it. I got it. It's in my hands. I've got it. And one day, though you can't see it now, one day you will understand. So it's telling us that. He's the head of the body. There's another name for you, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. There's another name for you, among the church. So then everything, he might have supremacy. There is no one greater than Jesus Christ, past, present, or future. No one is greater than the God that we serve. But look at this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, And through him, there's the lamb, through Jesus Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. There is the lamb. There is no way that we would be sitting here. There is no way that we would be worshiping unless there was a sacrifice. And there points to the sacrifice It points to the end time that there will be a time when Jesus Christ will come back. He will judge the living and the dead. But the only way that we, who were not born Jews, were grafted in is because Jesus, the perfect lamb, had to be the sacrifice to make peace by shedding his blood on the cross. It's not small, guys. 
This is why we study the word of God. This is why, and as God opens our eyes to the magnitude of who he is, when Phil Wickham says, I am lost in wonder in all you do, you've given us, a th- you've, we've given you, you have a thousand names and we're going to sing them back to you because in different times of our lives, how many of you have needed him not just to be savior, you've needed him to be friend? Huh? Sometimes we don't need him just to be friend. We need him to be provider. We've needed him to be all of those things. And he's like, I'll be all of those things for you. And so as we think about Yahweh's glory revealed in flesh and bone, what does that actually mean? Let me be a little bit of a geek for a minute. Can I just do that for you? Let me give you a new word. Some of you have used it. It is called the tetragrammaton. Say it with me, tetragrammaton, you can say it, tetragrammaton. Do you know what, it's, anyone ever heard the word tetragrammaton? Okay, thank you. Okay, a few people, tetragrammaton. The term tetragrammaton is Greek for four letters. yod heh vav what we see as Yahweh, when we look at Yahweh, you see I've put consonants or I put vowels in there. In Jewish history, in Hebrew history, there are no vowels. And if you look at the letters, the letters actually mean something. And so yod Hey vav Hey, Yahweh actually is almost meant to be um, indescribable and difficult to pronounce as a means to say, God, you are so indescribable. You are so glorious. You are so beyond what we can imagine that you are our breath. You are Yahweh. And they, we don't use it often because the Hebrew people use this very specifically. It is meant then not just to be uh, four words that we use this tetragrammaton, but in Latin, the equivalent would be J-H-V-H, and if we added vowels, would sound like Jehovah. So Yahweh and Jehovah are used very similarly. It is just dependent on the Greek and the Hebrews when you add the vowels. But what does Yahweh mean beyond majesty and greatness, beyond we don't want to use your name? We want to have a holy fear of you, Yahweh. We want to honor you, Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that they gave, the Israelites gave to God, representing the biblical pronunciation of his name. It's the Hebrew name revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 3. We see it when God is speaking to Moses and he has given Moses a command to now go back and to say, let my people go. And when Moses say, who should I say has sent me? Tell him I am the very breath, the very creator of existence has sent me to you. So don't be afraid when they come against you. When the waves of life come, don't be afraid because I have gone before you. I who am the one that will turn blood to water, will bring frogs, will bring pestilence. I the one that will open the sea has sent you to go and get my people. Hear me, when you know who has gone before you, 
you will stop being so sheepish and telling people that I am who am is still alive in and through his son, the shepherd and the bishop of souls who parts ways, who heals us, who hands out the prison keys. There is something great and majesty about it. The term is used to describe God who is the creator of all things. He is the one who not only released his people from bondage, but he made a covenant with his people. He made a dwelling among his people called the tabernacle. The term is a term of honor. But I want you to remember, even though they had the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, even though they had prophets and leaders, the people didn't want to look upon God. You remember they constantly sent Moses, you go do it. We don't want to have relationship with him. We're afraid of him. Guys, God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. And so he tried through the Abrahamic covenant, through the salt covenant, through the Davidic covenant, through the blood of bulls and goats, through prophets to try to say, come back to me. He gave them law and order so they knew what sin would be. They'd have good kings, and then another king would come who was corrupt. They didn't always want to put their faith in Yahweh, so they would turn their face to other gods. And there were times when God had to allow his people to suffer so that they would know you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have your foot in the camp of Baal and have your foot over here with Yahweh. You must be a single-minded people. Well, Yahweh tried, and he finally realized that there was only one sacrifice that would do. And that sacrifice was when he gave his own son, who stepped out of the glories of heaven, left all of the glories behind, wrapped himself in flesh, was born in the womb of a virgin, and was like we are, Scripture says, in all ways, but was without sin. Jesus suffered. He was betrayed. He was lied upon. He experienced all of the physical things that we experience, and yet he did not sin. Why is that important? Because even now as he sits at the great, as the great high priest, and as he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, there's nothing that we experience that he does not know. He knows you're hurting. He knows it's a struggle. He knows that this world is in need of complete restoration. He knows that when he steps out of his celestial throne once again to judge the living and the dead, he will begin in the church. Are you all hearing me? Do you know why it's important how we live? That we are holy people? That we love each other well? That we don't just hoard the gospel to ourselves? That we tell the brokenhearted out there that Jesus is still alive, that there was one sacrifice, that you don't have to earn your way, that you don't have to pay your way into heaven, that there's no purgatory. There is simply a spotless lamb who acted as a bridge between Yahweh and the Israelite people and people who we were called the Gentiles who worshiped other gods. And through the preaching and teaching and sacrifice, Jesus Christ made the two one, made us family. 
And because of Jesus, we don't just get to sing the songs. We now get to be a part of giving him glory. We get to be a part of giving him glory. Our dirty hands, those of us who were nothing because of the blood, we can now stand before him clean and point the way to God to say he is alive and he will be alive forevermore. Friends, Jesus is God's glory, Yahweh's glory. But we must realize this, that without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there would be no bridge to that restoration. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, and I will close as the worship band comes back up. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. For what reason? To the glory of God the Father. Friends, every knee is going to bow whether they want to or not. Every other king that exists is going to bow whether they want to or not. Every world power is going to bow whether they want to or not. And we may be here to see it or we may not be, but that's not our concern. Our concern is to model our life after Jesus Christ, the one who was Yahweh's glory revealed in flesh and bone, and to be now his recipients, the one who received the forgiveness of sin, our job now is to be in his presence and to give him glory. As we end this service, we're going to sing two songs, but we're going to end by once again singing a thousand names. And I pray that as we sing it, you will think about or write down or memorize every one of those names and know that those are just a few names. And as you think about the more than a thousand names of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you will study it out and you will say, God, show us how to sing them back to you. But beyond singing them back to you, show us how to live it back to you. Show us how to live our lives in a way that said, you are Yahweh's glory, Jesus. And because of you, I too can give him glory. Amen? Let's stand and worship.